statue, well-known, easily found on the Internet, called Christ of the Andes. The statue commemorates the signing of a peace treaty in 1903, which ended a long, smoldering battle, a, a, a border dispute between those two nations. The Argentine cannons had been terrorizing the Chileans. These cannons were melted down in order to form this statue, engraved in Spanish at the base of this monument are these words. Quote, Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than Argentines and Chileans break the peace sworn at the foot of Christ the Redeemer. Unquote. That's commendable. That's hopeful but unlikely. Given man's propensity to be at war. In the late 1980s, a number of academics, historians, collected their, their knowledge and statistics and tell us that over a period of 5,600 years, what we know of mankind's history, basically. The world has known only 292 years of global peace. 1 author quipped, Peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. There is no question that peace is elusive, that it is uh, as strong as a wet paper towel, that its commitments are abandoned as frequently as food is put in our mouth. But we want peace. We see that longing for peace in the greetings that we give each other. Peace to you common Eastern greeting. And of course, there's the Hebrew greeting, whether you are meeting someone or you are leaving someone, shalom, peace to you. We want peace. We look for peace. Here's how Webster defines peace. Dictionary definition. A state of tranquility or quiet a state of security or order, a state or period of mutual concord between opposing parties, the removal or suspension of discord. You'll notice in these dictionary definitions that peace is the subtraction of tension, stress, conflict. One author quipped, one sword keeps another in its sheath. In other words, we're going to have peace as long as somebody is carrying around a big stick. 
But what happens when that stick is laid aside? Peace is elusive in our world. But this morning we're going to talk about a heteros peace. We're talking about a a peace of a completely different kind. I'm, of course, referring to the peace of which Jesus speaks. In John chapter 14, where we find our verse of Scripture for this morning, Jesus is engaged in a conversation with his men. They are not at peace. They are with great conflict in their soul. They are pained. They are confused. They are at a loss for what to do, what to say, how to think, how to feel. Jesus has told them, as the Messiah, that he is going to go away. That didn't make any sense to them. How could Jesus, as the Messiah, leave? He would no longer be the one in charge. He would no longer be the reigning Messiah. He can't leave. And yet he has said repeatedly, even at that last meal they shared together, I am going away. Lost, confused, fearful, conflicted inside. The disciples are trembling. Panic runs through their souls like a hurricane. And knowing that, Jesus speaks words of comfort and promise to them in John chapter 14. We've already looked at a couple of the promises Jesus has given his men. He has said to them, you are going to do work that is greater than the work I have done. You're going to pray kingdom-seeking, God-honoring prayers, and I am going to answer them. All of that was to say to these men, the work of the kingdom is not completed. I am still busy. Jesus has promised them that there is another one that is coming. Another helper. An alos helper. Another one of the same kind. Chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus promises his men. He comes to them physically after the resurrection. He comes to them spiritually at Pentecost in the person of the Holy Spirit. He will come for all of his own eschatologically at the end of all time. He will come for his own and in a variety of different ways. But Jesus isn't done talking to his men, giving them words of strength and encouragement. Here's our text for this morning. Just one verse, verse 27. Peace 
I leave with you, says Jesus. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What Jesus promises us is not the subtraction of conflict, stress, tension, difficulty. He promises us his peace, which is not a subtraction. It is an addition. Let me describe what I mean. It might take me 45 minutes. Stick with me. There are two different kinds of peace. There is the world's peace, and there is the peace that Jesus brings. Now, this worldly peace is elusive. It is temporary at the, at the very best. A, a peace as a, as, a, as a topic is something that is, is, is really very simple, yet complex. Let me make that which is complex maybe a little little bit more simple in our minds to, 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 to put some handles on this. We might talk about extra personal peace, interpersonal peace, and intra personal peace. When we talk about extra personal peace, we're talking about that peace which goes beyond individuals to groups of people, maybe between nations. The world offers that kind of peace, seeks that kind of peace. That's an objective peace. That's something that we can can measure. And And we measure it by how long the person's big stick, the stronger person's big stick, remains in his hand. Inter- personal peace is the peace between two people or a, a small group of people. We're talking about uh, the, the peace that is, is between them in their relationships. This also can be measured objectively. Well, this one did not hit that one. This one did not take the property of, of that one. There is the absence, again, the subtraction of conflict. When we talk about intrapersonal peace, now we're talking about something that is subjective, something that is difficult to measure. That's the kind of peace that is within my soul. There are a lot of people that you know that are, are full of turmoil and tension and stress on the inside, but on the outside, they look cool as a cucumber. They've got it pretty well masked. It's hard to quantify, hard to put your finger on. But when we are talking about the kind of peace the world offers, whether we're talking about extrapersonal, intrapersonal, intrapersonal, um, it is, um, it, it's not very lasting. Why? Be- because the world has no power 
It has no authority to bring actual peace into any of our relationships. And so we're left standing, struggling, trying to convince ourselves that there is peace when there is no peace. There's no basis for peace. The religious leaders in the prophet Jeremiah's day ignored God's law. And prior to the Babylonian conflict, Jeremiah kept preaching, kept urging them, pressing them to trust the Lord. Repent of your sin and get down on your knees. Submit to Him. Refusing to do so, they were given over to the consequences of their sin. Which brought pain, conflict, a gross absence of peace. The religious leaders of Jeremiah's day protested vociferously, urgently. No, 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 no. That's not right, Jeremiah. It's not the way it is. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11. They heal, Jeremiah speaks of the religious leaders, they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Finally, just a few verses later, some of the people in uh, Jerusalem wake up and smell the proverbial coffee. And they said, we waited for peace, but no good came for a time of healing. But behold, terror. There was no healing just the opposite. There was no peace. No, just the opposite. Paul writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Isaiah says in chapter 48, there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. The world cannot offer any peace. Unsaved people do not know lasting, eternal peace. Oh, maybe the temporary laying down of arms, putting the sword back in the sheath, but it's temporary at best. So point number two, we're going to look at that which is other than. We're going to look at the peace that Jesus offers. He says in our text, my peace I give to you. Not as the world does. This is my peace, Jesus says. Now when we come to a discussion about the peace that Jesus brings, we could talk about extra personal peace. Specifically, we would be talking in this context of messianic peace. The kind that we read about in, uh, the, ch- in, in the book of Isaiah, very familiar uh, uh, chapter of Scripture, chapter 9 is. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah chapter 52. Verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. There is coming a time when we will, on a global level, experience Jesus' messianic peace. We haven't experienced it yet. It might begin this afternoon. Oh, it could. We don't know when. It is still yet to come. But Jesus isn't talking about this kind of peace to his men. They're concerned about the here and the now and the whys and the wherefores. Jesus is not talking when he says, my peace I give to you. He's not, he's not talking about extra-personal peace. Neither is he talking about interpersonal peace. He could have. We certainly see on, on the pages particularly of the New Testament uh, a, 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 a robust discussion regarding that interpersonal peace that happens between brothers and sisters, between church members. Jesus says in Mark 9, be at peace with one another. And Paul exhorted, Romans chapter 14, pursue things which are for peace and the building up of one another. Ephesians chapter 4, he says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit, indwelling every believer, gives every believer the peace of Christ. Now, we may not act on that. We may not embrace that gift. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. It's something that is given to every believer, and we are called thereby to maintain that gift, eagerly maintain that gift. But Jesus isn't talking about that kind of peace. He's talking about intra-personal peace. He's, he's talking about the, the, the kind of peace that we wrestle with when, 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 the, when the wheel falls off the wagon. W whatever those circumstances might be in our life. For the disciples, Jesus was leaving he has said to them repeatedly, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be executed. The thought, the raw thought of it horrified them. And to that, 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 that constant blowing and, and, and oceanic turmoil in their soul, Jesus speaks to them 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Second page of your notes. Let's look at two aspects of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, on the one hand, peace with God that must precede peace, the peace of God. Let's begin first with a brief discussion about what we mean when we talk about peace with God. The opening pages of, of the Scriptures in the book of Genesis uh, tell us um, a, a, a wonderfully tragic story. Wonderful in the sense that God made mankind, men and women, in His image. Tragic in the sense that uh, Adam and Eve uh, did their own thing. They went their own way. And this is what we read in chapter 6, chapter 8, regarding man's serious problem. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Chapter 8. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. By willful choice, man chose not peace, but conflict. Didn't want to do things God's way, wanted to do things our way. And subsequently, we live with the consequences thereof. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, Paul, Paul says, Through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. He's talking about the sin of Adam and Eve. Not only by by choice do we choose uh, conflict and tension and stress and problem and difficulty, but by nature we choose the same. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God nor is it even able to do so we are by nature by choice at enmity with God we are his enemies because we stand opposed to in rebellion against his law his ways his priorities and you know what Fallen man likes it that way. But in Christ, because of Christ, things are different. Because of the work of Christ, for those who submit to him, we are no longer at enmity with him. We're not his enemies, he calls us friends. He adopts us as his own children. That is mind-boggling. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, find verse 6. 
while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, rebels, wayward children, enemies, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Let your eyes go up to the first verse of this chapter. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer his enemies. He has not a sword sticking out at us any longer. He welcomes us. We are at peace with God. Now, other people might see that on our expression um, in the manner of our life choices that we make, but that's something that happens inside. This is intrapersonal peace. More specifically, this is peace with God that I find on the inside of my soul. It's this peace that leads us to a peace of God. When we use the word, uh, the word of in, in, in this way, um, that, 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 that preposition can, can describe ownership. Meaning, this is God's love that he obviously is sharing, that he is giving. Jesus says in our text, my peace I give to you. It is a gift. It also could be that this this preposition is describing um, a a condition, um, that is, this, this piece is one that describes God or is reflective of God. There's many ways to, uh, to, to look at that and to consider them. We, we, we need to, to think about all of these particular uh, variables and possibilities. Objectively, this piece is given to us by Christ and given to us through uh, the mediating work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to to, um, what the sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 85. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What What a wonderful picture. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. 
It is because of the righteousness of Christ. Both what he owns, what describes him, this righteousness enables peace to take place. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. They come together. They work together. Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the addition. Remember I said that that worldly peace has to do with with, uh, the subtraction of conflict and, and tension, albeit temporary. Christ's peace, the, the peace that he the peace that he owns, the peace that he that he gives, uh, the, the peace that describes him, uh, that characterizes him. This peace is given to us by the Lord. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's the addition. Christ's peace is not something that is the absence of conflict, tension, stress, difficulty, confusion, fear. It's it's not the absence of those things. It is the addition of Christ and believing Him. That's how I receive this gift. My peace I give you. Isaiah chapter six, uh, 26, verse 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. How does a person trust in God in order to get this peace? By steadfastly trusting. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Think about the example of the Lord Jesus for just a moment. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. The big fisherman wrote, For you have been called to this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Let me read the last part of that verse because as, Jesus, as, as Paul says, or Peter says, we are to follow in his steps. We look at Jesus. How did he deal with the, the stress and the strain of, of being unjustly tried? I, the word tried is, is, doesn't fit. It was such a, 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 a bogus legal um, 
transaction that took place. They simply wanted him dead, and unjustly so. How did Jesus deal with this? Verse 23, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The steadfast of mind. You will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Steadfastly. Did Jesus keep entrusting himself to him who judges righteously? Book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The author writes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In competition, the swimmer is always looking for the final wall. The pole vaulter is always looking at that bar that is high in the air. The sprinter is always looking at the tape at the end of the track. A sprinter worth his salt is not, doesn't care at all about the competition beside him. He's not looking at that those other people. He's not looking at his feet. He's not imagining what he looks like on on the TV screen as he's running. His eyes are in one place and one place only. On the tape. Whatever the conflict, whatever the stress, our eyes are on Christ. What the world offers will take us, take our eyes rather, to other things. And that's why it's not lasting. Our eyes are on the example of Christ. We fix our eyes on Him. Nothing else. Think about the example of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 16. He has been called by the Holy Spirit to enter the continent of Europe. And he finds himself in this, uh, this retirement town for military officers called Philippi. And there he finds some fruit, some spiritual fruit of people that are interested and receptive to the gospel of God. But the citizens of that society, of that, of that city, rather, um, uh, aren't too interested in what, Jesus, uh, what, what Paul has to say. And so in Acts chapter 16, we read verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them, speaking of Paul and his associates, among them uh, uh, Titus, uh, Silas, rather, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What? How could that be? Where did this kind of peace come from in the midst of this turmoil? A few chapters later, we find the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem seeking to honor the Lord, worship the Lord, uh, respect the Jewish traditions. Um, he had no intention of raising a, a ruckus or anything, but there were, there were some zealous Jews who, who saw Paul knew he had formerly been a Jew, but now claimed to be a member of the way. He was a Christian, a Christ follower. And they seized him violently, and they purposed to kill him, to stone him to death. The Roman guards took over, interrogated Paul, and in the process, Paul asked permission to speak to the crowd. With calm, peaceful words, he spoke. And they listened uh, for a time. Where, where did that come from? One minute he is being dragged out of the temple with threats of being killed, and the next, very peaceably, he's speaking to those very same people. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is en route to Rome. He has appealed to Caesar to hear his case, having been unjustly incarcerated for now more than two years. In Acts chapter 27, we find that there's a, a storm that is brewing in the Mediterranean. It is threatening the lives of all that are on board. Chapter 27, verse 21, we read, When they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this, this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted to you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will be, turn out exactly as I have been told. Threatened with his life again, this time by a violent storm, uh, and yet he responds with peace. How is that? Let me take you back to that town that um, sought to take his life in Philippi. 
the, the believers there remembered very well what happened to Paul and Silas. And in that letter, Paul gives us um, some very clear words as to how he was able to endure, how he was able to uh, not only accept but embrace uh, this addition of Christ's gift of peace in the midst of some very horrible circumstances. Turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Verse 11, Paul writes this. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. He's learned to be content. He's learned peace. And then in verse 13, one of of the New Testament verses that is most frequently ripped out of its context and applied improperly to all kinds of things, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus has no intention of communicating in any way that you can stand on the top of this building, jump off and fly. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Rubbish. The context tells us that Paul means I can endure all things. I can do this. Ah. But it's not by my strength. It's by and through Him who strengthens me. Jesus promised to to the eleven that are before Him, my peace I give to you. Paul says, that's my peace too. Believers in the 21st century say the same. If you know the Holy Spirit, if He has come into your life, given you new birth, indwelt you, if this Spirit is still in the business of bearing forth the fruit of peace, which He is, the peace of Christ is your peace. It's something that we learn. We, we learn this kind of peaceful situation. Calm in chaos, tranquility in turmoil, peacefulness amid persecution. Paul's was a, a settled confidence in a sovereign Christ. Look at verse 6. He gives us um, a little bit more help. Be anxious for nothing, he says. Did he really mean be anxious for most? Be, 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 be anxious not for most things? 
No. Kind of all things. Now, the things that stress you, cause you anxiety, grief, fear, are going to be different than the things that cause me the same. Um, but it doesn't matter whose list we look at, your list, my list, somebody else's list, somebody else's list in Africa. Be anxious for nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad there's, there's a common there, there's not a period. It, 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 it's, it's not like Paul's um, preaching at us, thumping us on the chest, uh, don't be fearful. No, he goes on. He, he, he has been in this hole, and sometimes we are, and he's going to help us get out. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Charles, May, uh, Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic said, quote, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Unquote. Another obs- author observed, quote, Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Unquote. Be anxious for nothing. What am I supposed to do about that, Paul? Well, replace the anxiety with this. Verse 6, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, right now I'm going to do something that I probably shouldn't do. At the risk of being, appearing to be trite, simplistic, and corny, I'm going to give you a rhyme to stick in your mind. Here it is, ready? I really shouldn't be doing this. Maybe it'll help. When life is a worry, and life is a bear, trust in the Lord with thankful prayer. I'm glad you didn't walk in here with tomatoes. When life is a worry and life is a bear, trust in the Lord with thankful prayer. Here's the bottom line for Paul. A few verses later, we're still in Philippians 4. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
My peace I give you, says our Lord. Psalm 34. The young lions do lack for and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want for any good thing. Because our God supplies us with all of our needs. He doesn't He doesn't do so by subtraction, doesn't take away the stress, doesn't take away the conflict necessarily. Sometimes he does. But we can't promise that. He he doesn't promise that, and we can't count on that. The, The answer to our lack of peace and our lack of contentment is the addition, the addition of Christ, the addition of submitting to him and praying to him with thankful prayer. Thankful for the circumstances. Thank you for, th- thankful for the difficult people around us. Thank you for the opportunity to trust him yet again. Now, by way of conclusion, I want to... Um, I, I want to simply reiterate the fact that that this um, this this problem of of stress, conflict, fear, anxiety, worry, uh, difficulty, affliction, um, it 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 is something that we all wrestle with. It, it's 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 very easy to to be va- rather rather. Um, um, cavalier and super spiritual in our in our uh, relationships to to brush the fears and the and the anxieties other people have away and say well you 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 just need to walk with the lord more tightly well that may be the case um i i want i want i want to i want to point out um in in the time we have remaining um, a couple things from King David's life. We know prior to him assuming the role of, of king that he um, lived in great fear that his father-in-law, King Saul, would take his life. On more than one occasion, Saul tried to kill David by skewering him with a spear. Thankfully, he failed at each time. Um, in um, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10 tells us that he's running away from Saul. And verse 12 of that chapter tells us, David greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. On that occasion, David wrote two psalms, Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. I don't know why they're not glued together. That would have been... Well, that's the way I would have done it. <laughs> Lord had other things in mind. I want you to listen to um, um, the, the words of David in Psalm 53, verse 6. When I am afraid, he writes, I will put my trust in you. Notice that he doesn't say, if I'm afraid. 
But when I'm afraid, it is his experience as it is ours. What David's afraid of may not be something that you're afraid of, and vice versa. But there were times that he was afraid. This is what he did about it. He put his trust in the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When he feared, he trusted in the Lord. And as he trusted in the Lord, he found God to be faithful to deliver him. On another occasion, 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Because he knew this, even before Jesus was on earth and before Jesus gave the promise, David knew that God would give him peace. My peace I give, said Jesus. May the Lord find us to be a group of people that, that have the grace and the gift uh, and, and the grit to accept his gift. To accept that gift with, um, with decisiveness, with discipline. No matter what the circumstances. We need each one of us in our own ways to be reminded of these things. And we would be poor brothers and sisters not to be sensitive to some of those trigger points of fear, stress, difficulty, anxiety, uh, pressure in, our, in each other's lives. We would be remiss not, not to remind ourselves to keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep following his example. Don't look necessarily to replace, subtract the, the difficulties or the stressors in our life, but to add to that our confident trust in the Lord. Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of Scripture to speak to us according to our deepest need. Find us faithful to be looking to you no matter the circumstances, no matter the events. For we know you keep your promises. Your peace you give 